You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hi, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I'm your host, Kristen Maxwell. And in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies you can use to transform your own life. Today, we are going to be talking to Debbie Hampton about the ultimate self-help tips, how to overcome depression and anxiety. Debbie Hampton recovered from decades of unhealthy thinking and depression, a suicide attempt and resulting brain injury to become an inspirational and educational writer on brain, psychological, emotional, and mental health issues. She's written for companies such like Huntington Huffington Post, Mind Body Green, and others. She's the author of two books, Sex, Suicide, and Serotonin, and Beat Depression and Anxiety by Changing Your Brain. Debbie now teaches others how to rebuild their brains and lives to find joy. Debbie, welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you, Kristen. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. My first question is always, what superpower did you uncover as a result of mastering your mind? The superpower that I discovered was, number one, that I could control my mind. I know it sounds kind of, maybe I was naive, but I never really even realized that until I was later in life, in my 40s that I could control my mind and it didn't control me. And the superpower that came from that was I learned that I got to create my reality. We all do. Um, Not in some fictional illusory way, but your brain actually adds like a lot of subjective content when it interprets whatever happens. And we have some control over that subjective content. And if we don't use that control, that content is made up of our wounds and our hurts from the past. And we see the world through that. But we all have conscious choice as to what filter we see the world through. And that was my superpower. I changed my world by changing my perspective, which in turn actually changes your brain. Wow. You just said about a million life-changing things, realizations, <laughs> <laughs> right in there. That, that, that concept that what our reality is is a reflection of how we are interpreting what's happening to us. And the idea that how we, you know, that we see the world through the perspective of our hurts and our past, unless we consciously change that, and that you get to create your reality. That's a lot. You have a lot of superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, I liken it to Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, where I have on the ruby slippers. We all do the whole time and never even realized it. I mean, we're all born with these super-powered brains, 
but we never bother to read the user's manual and learn how to operate it. And when we do, it changes our lives, but we all can. Wow, perfect. And I so am wanting to, to get into some of, you know, what you teach people about how to learn how to operate your brain. But maybe you could tell people, you know, the listeners a little bit about your background, because you do know, you do know depression and anxiety <laughs> from your past. Yeah, I would say, like everybody else, depression is, nobody is born with a depressed brain. Depression is the consequence of life. And you may be born with a brain that is more susceptible to depression, which mine was, because of family history and patterns that I was taught in childhood emotional patterns and those kind of things. But as life went on, I became more and more depressed. Um, I married my high school sweetheart, and we were married for 18 years. Um, the marriage ended in a horrible, horrible divorce. I mean, we, that was so ugly, it made divorce court and the gossip magazines look tame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two years before the marriage ended, I took care of my brother for two years and my brother was 10 months older than me. And so my mother dressed us as twins and I mean, we were really close. He was my best friend in the world, but I took care of him as he died of AIDS. Uh, I mean, you've heard of caregivers and how hard that is. So that took a toll. The divorce took a toll. And I mean, before the divorce and that, there were miscarriages. There were affairs on the part of my ex-husband. And I mean, just life. Life, it just piled up one thing after another. And I didn't have the coping mechanisms or nor had I learned the resilience to weather these things and about three years after the divorce i had moved with my two sons to north carolina by myself and the ex-husband who is now a millionaire and used his money to harass me non-stop in the courts Mm. but he had filed another lawsuit against me And a relationship that had been going on for years ended, my boyfriend broke up with me. So not having any coping skills and this being one more thing on the load on my back, I tried to commit suicide. And I mean, I was serious. I took over 80 pills and mostly prescription kind of brain drugs. Wow. Um, alcohol. And I wasn't found for hours. And everything I took went through my system. So needless to say, I ended up in the hospital in a coma for a week. And when I woke up, I couldn't speak. Um, my hands shook constantly. I had no memory. I didn't know my second son had been born. I didn't know I'd gotten divorced. 
it seems like I'd gone back to a period before all of the hurts. But anyway, to make a long, sad story short, it took years to recover. And in recovering, I learned about my brain and I learned how to rehabilitate my brain and I learned how to direct and guide my brain. And there's a concept that is fairly recent called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity means that your brain changes both form and functionality according to the input. They used to believe that your brain was kind of hardwired as an adult and that only went through like critical growth periods as a child. But they now know for sure that your brain changes until the day you die. And it changes based on input. And that's external input and internal input. Right. Your brain, your brain changes almost as much from your thoughts, your imaginations, your feelings, your internal world, as it does from your outernal, I'm sorry, external world. Right. That, that is the power we all have to shape our brains and our realities. Right. This is so, so interesting uh, because this concept that, sure, we have stuff that happens outside, but the thoughts that we feed our brain and that we can actually learn to choose different thoughts and literally change our brain is, as you were saying, life-changing. So I want to go more into learning, talking more about these self-help tips about how to overcome depression and anxiety, but we're going to go to a break first. Can you tell people where they can learn about you and your work and your writing? Sure. I have a website called bestbrainpossible.com and I have over 400 um, blog posts, articles about how to change your mind, how to take advantage of neuroplasticity. I mean, it's very informative. And I'm also on Twitter as D.L. Hampton and Facebook as The Best Brain Possible. Great. Thank you. Hang tight and we will be right back. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Your Superpowered Mind, and we are talking to Debbie Hampton. And Debbie, um, your story is... is um, really moving. And I guess what I would want to start with there is how, when you were in such a deep place, 
when you were depressed already and then had the brain injury, how did you get, I mean, even the wherewithal to start to try to rehabilitate? Where did that come from, that strength? Well, that's kind of a long story, but I'll try to make it short. Um, I went about four months after the brain injury. My, my ex-husband sued me for custody of my sons and took them away and moved to another state. And I was still brain injured, but my, I have another older brother that knew I needed something to look forward to. So he planned a trip to Hawaii with me. And on, us, on the very first day in Hawaii, we went snorkeling. And I used to be a lifeguard and a very good swimmer. But after the brain injury, I was not nearly as coordinated. And I kicked off my fin when we were out, out snorkeling at kind of at the mouth of the ocean out at the opening of this bay. And the current was strong. And I had near drowning experience, but I fought really hard to live. And it didn't occur to me until after I got back. Wait a minute, six months ago, you tried to kill yourself. Why didn't you just slip under the water and let what you started to finish? I still was at that point when I went to Hawaii, very undecided as to whether I wanted to live or not. I mean, I wanted to die before, and now I was supposed to want to live severely brain injured. But it occurred to me from that experience that I did want to live and that the essence of myself, my soul wanted to live that it was my ego or my head or whatever you want to call it that was convincing me of all this garbage. Mm. So I started investigating that and learning how to direct and control my thoughts. Now, you can't control the random thoughts that Papa do had. They're, they're random and they're just kind of, there's no rhyme or reason. But what you can do is decide which ones you believe, which ones you attach to, and which ones you put importance in. Right. So can you give an example of that just for, by what you mean by that? About what, you know, with deciding which ones to believe or attach to? Well, sure. Um, for for instance, our amygdalas, which is the reptilian old ancient limbic system part of our brain, is our fear alarm. And it gets trained by past experiences to react automatically. I mean, those are emotions. It reacts. You don't before you can even think about it. So for instance, I had what I really think I had full-blown PTSD from the experiences with my ex-husband. And when I would just see an email from him pop up in my inbox, I would go into a full-blown reaction physically. I mean, 
my heart would race, I'd get hot, I'd get, I mean, upset. But when that happens, okay, then you have the choice to insert some frontal lobe control. Don't let your ancient brain control your life and your emotions and your behavior. Used to be I would react to him, to the emo, and just fire off something. But I learned, okay, even though my body was reacting and my mind or my initial thought may be to get angry or defensive or fight back, as I learned to be mindful, to slow down, to engage my thinking brain, my frontal lobe, and make it to where it was more powerful than my amygdala, my instincts, my habitual patterns. And think about my response. I got to the point where I, I never allowed myself to even respond within the same day because it was amazing if I waited a day, how much different my perspective could be. I could actually think about things from like other perspectives besides just being angry or being defensive or whatever. Right. And you can apply you that type of mindfulness, you can learn and apply to every situation in life going right. forward. So so if somebody, you know, is is struggling with depression and say maybe they're you know, stuck in a thought pattern of thinking, you know what, I'm not good enough for whatever, you know, I can't do this. And, and they feel really stuck. How, how does one go about starting to learn or changing those thoughts? That's there a is, there is a, and changing your self-talk is the biggest thing that you can do to help yourself in changing, getting control of your mind. Mm -hmm. And that is the, the biggest thing to get control of your mind. Right. And there's a process called RAIN. It goes by the acronym of R-A-I-N, RAIN, by Michelle McDonald. And it stands for Recognize, Accept, Interest, and non identification and it's really just a form of mindfulness mm -hmm. and there are many many out there and you can go to my website and you'll see probably i don't know 10 different little tools like this one but the first thing is the first thing you have to do is become aware of yes. your thoughts and that's the recognize the r Become right. aware of your thoughts and realize your thoughts are not you. And you don't even have to believe them. I mean, a lot, like I said before, a lot of these are subconscious garbage. Right. Hurts and wounds as a child. So the first step is becoming aware of your thoughts. Yes. And you know what? I'm going to step in here quickly is that you know, one of the things I do with clients very much is, is, I guess, alert them to the possibility that they are having all of these thoughts that are going on in the background that they don't even know that they're having. And they are 
thoughts and beliefs that they formed when they were young and they're living by them, but they keep trying to push them away. Sort of, or, or they may be beliefs that they were told by someone else. They may not even believe them. Right. Part of recognizing them is questioning, okay, does this work for me? Is this what I believe? Right. Right. And so it's, there's a part of us often that believes because we, we were fed it or formed it at some, at some point in our life. And then when you look at it from the point of view as an adult or as a, a more advanced thinking person, you're like, wait, that's not true. <laughs> right. A lot. Think about it. A lot of what we learn in childhood is from well-meaning parents, church, society, school, all that. But that, I mean, it may not work for us as an adult. And I mean, you were a child 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Things have progressed. Things have changed. You need to update your mental chatter and your beliefs and and make it in alignment with what you believe and make it represent who you want to be, not who you were told you were. Yes. Isn't that funny? And so it's this, I know this was one of those new concepts and this people find is like, that you get to pick what you believe. There's a way in which people sometimes feel powerless. Like, well, this is what I believe, but we really do have the power and you know this is changes people's lives to realize this well if i want to believe something i can then go out and look for evidence that this is true right have you heard of byron katie um i have but tell me why you're bringing that up let's tell everybody why you're bringing that up well she has a process called the work and it's phenomenal. And it's for questioning beliefs. And the first question is that you ask yourself with when you identify any belief is you ask yourself, is it true? And you'd be amazed at how many times it's not true. And then another, uh, the next thing is, what's the evidence for that? Mm, right. And the thing that's funny about that is we don't believe what we see. We see what we already believe. Right. You're, believe it or not, that's subjective too. I mean, what you see is an interpretation of impulses by your brain. And your yeah. brain as that subjective self, subconscious wound stuff garbage to what you see so a lot of times you can't even believe your eyes but let's go back to the brain okay the first step is recognize the second step is accept and for instance okay if you do say something like that's stupid or i'm stupid the second step, except what that means is to not judge it. Don't judge yourself for thinking that. 
Don't judge yourself as right or wrong. Just say, okay, this is what it is. Mm, I'm having this judgment of myself as being stupid. Right. Well, judging the thought. Mm, Okay. Right. Right. Because thoughts aren't right or wrong. Thoughts just are. It's what you do with them that makes them right or wrong. Right. Thank you. That's a great clarification. And the next step, the I, is interest. And that's the action step. That's where you actually work with the thought and challenge it. Decide if you believe it or decide what you believe. Reframe it. Mm -hmm. And the last step is the end is non-identification. And that's where you let go of any personal attachment you may have to the thought, the situation, the story. It's where you zoom out and drop your storylines. Right. And try to be objective. So it's rain, recognize, accept, interest, and non-identification. But it's basically just being mindful. I mean, you... Your listeners can go find a million different ways to be mindful. Right. And in uh, fact, I, do, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about that. I just want to clarify just to make sure that the people understand when you talk about reframing, would an example of that be something like if somebody's thinking I'm stupid, reframing it could be, well, I don't know how to do this yet, or I'm in the process of learning how to do this. Exactly. A good example I always use is that when I used to like drop a casserole dish or stub my toe, I realized I was saying to myself, that was stupid. And reframing that, I turned it around and said, no, that wasn't stupid. It was an accident. Right. Yes. No, the taking out for sure the judgment. It's like, okay, mistakes happen. Right. Right. So you had said with mindfulness, you know, one of the things that people so often recommend is meditation. And why is meditation and or some other types of mindfulness so important in combating depression? Well, I'm going to I'm going to take an opposing viewpoint, not opposing, but it's not one you hear often. And that meditation is one form of mindfulness. There are many, many forms of mindfulness. And I hear from so many people, I can't meditate. Well, that's okay. Mm. You don't have to. But meditation is one of the best that you can do to start. And drop any preconceived notions that you may have about being spiritual or, I don't know, religious or any of that. For me, I'm talking about meditation as a mental health tool. And what it really is, it's a practice that allows you to learn to focus your attention, which changes your brain. And it actually calms your amygdala. It it powers up that frontal lobe so that it can overpower the instinctual reactions and patterns from your past. 
And I mean, there are plenty of good informational resources online as how to meditate. I certainly suggest that people do meditate. And I started after the brain injury because a practitioner recommended it as a way to calm my brain. When we mapped my brain activity, it was incredibly erratic and anxious. And she suggested it as a way to calm my brain waves. And so I started doing it like two times a day for five minutes. And at first, I didn't know what I was doing. And of the typical old mindset, I was I thought I was trying to achieve something or trying to do something. But it's really like riding a bike. I mean, when you're learning to ride a bike, if you fall off, are you do you just quit and say, well, I can't ride the bike? No, you keep trying. And that's what meditating is. It's learning to guide your mind. And during the practice of learning to do it, your mind is going to end up thinking about the grocery list or the wax in the dog's ear. But by bringing it back to your breath, or your mantra, or a candlelight, or whatever your focus. That is what is changing your brain and is training it to calm down and pay attention. So, I mean, you you want the process of learning. Nobody sits down and is automatically okay. I mean, I've been doing it for 10 years. And some sessions, my mind is popping around like popcorn. Right. Some, it's it's calm. It depends on what's going on in my life. But that's what meditation is. It's a tool to work with whatever is going on in your life. Right. Yeah, sort of the way I look at it is that it is, um, it's almost like a workout for your brain muscle. Exactly. Well, it is. Right. Like it is. It is, yes. So you're strengthening the exercise for your brain. Right, right. Where you're strengthening the prefrontal cortex, you're calming the amygdala, you're learning how to notice what thoughts you have. It's amazing. So we only really have a couple minutes left, but can you just, there were a number of other um, processes and systems that you tried um, and worked with to both, um, you know, help with your brain injury and also with the depression. What are some of those systems? Maybe you could just list what their names are that you think helped with depression and anxiety. Are you talking about alternative therapies? Yes, yes. Well, I did a lot of different things. Cranial sacral massage really helps. Um, I did neurofeedback which is incredible it is actually attaching electrodes to your head but it's non-invasive and the feedback from your own brain your brain learns how to regulate itself optimally at like each site you train 
Right. Is that, would you say that that, is there one that was more um, impactful, do you think, or helpful to you than the other? I would say for for calming and training the brain, neurofeedback. And I may have, for the first time ever in my life, because of the brain injury and because I rehabilitated my brain with these things, I may have got it working right for the first time ever in my life. One other thing I did was hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and I still do that today. But that is incredible for all kinds of ailments. But And I still, I've become a yogaholic. I do yoga four or five times a week, and that is a mind-body form of mindfulness. It, it teaches you, it teaches your brain how to calm your mind and your body. I can't recommend yoga enough. But the most important thing is people have to do what works for them, whether it's walking, and whether it's visualization, affirmations, meditation, whatever just try things and find what works for you what right. what works for somebody else may not work for you right it's what you can get yourself to commit to doing regularly right. so that you're literally working your brain out right so debbie it's been so great to talk to you you obviously have so much um to share on this subject can you remind people again where they can find you? Sure. My website is thebestbrainpossible.com. And my Facebook page is The Best Brain Possible. And I'm D.L. Hampton on Twitter. Great. Thank you so much for um, sharing yourself today. And listeners, thank you also for taking this time to... Um, really want to improve the quality of your own life. Uh, Between now and next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 